Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Tennille Campbell stands out in the women's peloton. For a start, she's more than six feet tall. And she's from Trinidad and Tobago, better known for its track sprinters than its endurance riders. Her story is told in Ruler 20.4 and in a recent Long Reads podcast. But on this edition, we hear from her in person. The story of her journey from riding a borrowed bike in Trinidad to riding for a pro team in the Women's World Tour and how, among her many ambitions, is a desire to help other women like her become less of a rarity in pro cycling. This is Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance powered by the community. Tennille Campbell should be heading for Tokyo around now, getting ready to represent Trinidad and Tobago in the Olympics. Instead, of course, she's in her adopted home of Italy, where she rides for the UCI continental team, Valcar Travel. And that's where I caught up with her. For me, getting involved in cycling was basically following my brother's footstep, Akil Campbell. I mean, my brother and I, we didn't grow up around our father. So it was our way of trying to, I don't know, build a relationship and bond with him because he was a past cyclist. So, you know, in Trinidad, we have the Easter Grand Prix and these international events. So when my dad will come down, basically all the family will be racing. So that was a great way for us to bond together. Cycling isn't a big sport in Trinidad, but there are um, races and there are teams and there are clubs, aren't there? Yeah. And we also have uh, quite a few good cyclists. We are known to have several good performances. I mean, we had Jacine Phillip in the 2012 Olympic Games fourth. He came fourth, uh, Nicholas Paul. He currently has the world record in the 200 meters. We have a long list of history with this, with pertaining to sprint cycling. But uh, with respect to endurance, not so much. A lot of... Um track riders from the area as well who've, who've kind of got international recognition yeah Trinidad and Tobago is known for sprints <laughs> when did you realize that you were actually quite good at it then for me it was when I restarted cycling my first international competition which was the junior Caribbean cycling championships in Suriname I, where I won the road race <laughs> my teammate Kiana Lester she came second um, standing on the podium and receiving the the jersey and the medal and hearing your national anthem play, that was really good for me. And it 
I was really, I remember being really emotional and really happy. My family, everyone back home was happy. I just started to like that type of vibe and energy that I was getting and the feelings and sensation that followed with it. So, yeah. And then the next year I went again and I won the double. And this was in Dominica Republic. And the following year again, um, as an elite, I won the road race in Guadeloupe. And then finally in Martinique, I won the double in the Elite Caribbean um, Road Championships. This is when I got my golden opportunity because um, the UCI president was there, David Lafayette. Things just kick-started off for me from then on. We'll talk about Switzerland in a minute, but you, um, so all this time you were still living in, in, in Trinidad. How much kind of support were you getting there? How difficult was it to be an elite cyclist? It was a rough journey for me. I made so much sacrifices. My family made so much sacrifices. You know, cycling is a really expensive sport and having two kids and being a single parent, that's really hard on the pocket. So, you know, my family would come together and do what they can they can to um, raise money for us to get what we needed. I was really fortunate in my entire journey to get support from genuine people. Like, for instance, um, when I was a junior, Mr. Ashton Williams, he lent me his bike for training because I, I didn't have a bike. During my development, I basically didn't own anything besides a helmet and a shoe. The other equipment was borrowed to me. Then on, um, I met Mr. Desmond Roberts. He was actually the one who funded the trip for me to go to Martinique because my federation, uh, they didn't want to pay for me to go to that event. Um, yeah, they just didn't believe that I was capable enough to uh, win. I, but that's what actually they, they told um, one person that, it was, I, it was a waste of time and energy to actually send me there. So Mr. Desmond was really nice and he believed and had faith in me. And we booked, he booked the ticket last minute. I remembered <laughs> having to stay up the night before traveling until like uh, 2 a.m. or so in the morning, packing bikes and hustling to go into the airport, arriving uh, the day before the race. It was pretty crazy. This lack of support is, it happens throughout the entire system. Everyone feels this from junior to elite. Basically, if your family is not fortunate enough, you basically die within the system somewhere. You just lose that spirit. You certainly proved the um, people who doubted that it was worth sending you um, wrong. Yeah. (laughs) So you were spotted by the president of the UCI and invited to go and train at uh, Aigle in, in, in Switzerland at the UCI Centre. What was it like uh, moving to um, Switzerland at that stage? Oh, Switzerland. <laughs> I have very fond memories of Switzerland. Um, it was a crucial aspect of my growth and development and I'm really, really thankful and express high gratitude towards the UCI cycling center for giving me that opportunity to grow and develop into the ride I am today, giving me all the opportunities they possibly could have in helping me move on and become a professional cyclist. Arriving in Switzerland, it was no bed of roses. I mean, you take 
someone from a Caribbean island that is so hot, 25 degrees, and you arrive at minus 14 into a completely new time zone, atmosphere, culture, everything is different. You basically don't know anyone. It's like starting a new life, (laughs) hoping to find your way somehow and not giving up, just continuing having that relentless drive. But it was so hard. It was really hard. The first two weeks was the hardest in my life. (laughs) I cried. I broke down so many times. I was at a real low point. But like I said, I don't know. I was really fortunate to have good support and a good entourage back home. So whenever I'm low, I call home, especially Elijah Green. He knew me. He knew how I am. So he knew how to talk to me. He knew how to get my head back on path. And this was really good for me because when he spoke to me, my head is back on and I'm ready to go again. Were the other riders there generally supportive? Because cycling can be a bit of a uh, an inward-looking sport sometimes, can't it? Well, everyone at the centre, you know, it's an opportunity for us, but we're still fighting to... Uh, get leadership roles so other teams can see us. So at the end of the day, the battle really happens in training. So that way the coach knows who is the strong one, who can be leader um, at certain races to give each of us um, opportunities to be seen and to get a good result. But it was really a family atmosphere. These girls, they, they are now like my close friends. Some of them I consider even sisters. And till this day, we still keep in touch, even when we race for other teams within the professional peloton now. But yeah, everyone, I mean, we're all there alone. No one on the cycling team was from the same country. So everyone was from a different country. So it's different culture. I mean, a couple of them will speak Spanish, but we had our universal language, a mixture of English, hand signals. You know, we we found a way to understood each other and support each other in the low times because that's what we needed to do. We are away from our family and our comfort zone. So, yeah, we we were just there for each other um, when in need. And we just built a really healthy relationship amongst each other. And was the racing itself very different as well? A bit of a culture shock as well? Yes. <laughs> I remember my my first race in Chambry. I believe this was in France, and (laughs) I was really shocked. I mean, it was really cold and wet, and I remember riding, and some girl, she came up to me and, like, really shoved me, and I was like, whoa, okay, this is really going to be a fight. This is completely different to what I'm used to. The aggressiveness, the amount of participants in the race, Everything was different to me. I mean, back home, yeah, I train with the boys. I race with the boys, but the group is never that big. And even when the boys see that I'm a girl, you know, they don't really be that aggressive to me. So I wouldn't really know how to react. But throughout the months, throughout the years, I learned um, my way in the peloton. I started to observe, try new things and use it towards my growth. And I believe this is why myself absorbing all the knowledge and trying to understand every aspect that happens in the races 
is why I can um, transform and use what I've learned and try to execute in like now. Now, quite a few teams were interested in you when you were looking to turn professional, but you ended up going with an Italian team. Why was that? Uh, <laughs> Falca Traveling Service. Uh, well, the coach is Davide Adzini. Uh, I remember he, him telling me, first the person, then the rider. So person first, rider after. So they must ensure that the person is okay. And they believe that once the cyclist is happy, all the results will follow. And that was one thing that stood out to me. Then I looked into their riders and also how the team operates in the peloton and also off the bike. And then if you look at Valka Travel and Service, you see riders like Elisa, Balsamo, Marta Cavalli. I raced with them when, while I was at CMC. So looking at their performances, looking at their growth, I was like, this team know how to develop young riders because the team is made up of a lot of young riders. Everyone is more or less under 24. And they are very well known. I mean, they have a lot of victories, um, top three, top five, tens. That really um, sold the deal for me because I didn't want the pressure also of going to a really top-tier team and not getting opportunities and and being pressured into leadership role, you know. I wanted to go somewhere where I could, where I know I can develop as a rider on and off the bike and also learn in the process. So how was this year and this season supposed to have gone before everything went wrong? <laughs> well, the goal, the major goal was Olympics. But this is postponed. Um, I had no problem with that. I didn't feel any way about the postponement. I just looked at the positive side. I have more time to prepare, increase my chances of possibly getting a medal for my country. The season this year, well, our focus remains on La Corse and Poulet. Also, Thailand and China, if it still happens. And also, we well, Ride London is now cancelled, but that would have been um, another target for us. But for right, right now, uh, our two main focuses are La Corse and Poulet. And well, for me, the World Championships in Eagle, Switzerland. I'm really, really trying my ultimate best. I mean, I have the support and encouragement from the team. We're just going to go there and see how best we can perform. Yeah. I think it would be a really great story. I mean, everything started in Eagle. We're coming back in Eagle to get a solid result there will just be incredible. In recent uh, weeks and months, a lot of organisations and sports have been rethinking how they can attract people from a broader range of nations and backgrounds. And you know, pro cycling, um, both men's and women's, is is overwhelmingly white and or European. How would you like to see that change? How would you like to see people from a wider range of backgrounds attracted into the sport? For instance, in, I know for the Caribbean, we don't have the infrastructures in place. We don't have like in, a proper investment into the sport. I would say in all the Caribbean countries is like this. You know, compared to Europe, they have everything. They have an investment. They have 
proper organization and structure when it comes from when riders are a junior into the elite level. So they are well invested in the Caribbean, for instance. It's not like this because it's not a popular sport. I think for us, if if it is that we get like some sort of investment or development programs going, we can see more Caribbean athletes like me racing in Europe because it's, it's, it's a very expensive sport and the lifestyle in the Caribbean is completely different compared to Europe. I think with investment, um, proper programs in place when it comes to development from the youth to elite, we can see a lot of things happening. Do you think it principally is cost um, and, and investment then? Because obviously the Caribbean countries are well represented in, in many other sports, but do you think it's uh, uniquely a cycling issue that, uh, that it's expensive? Yeah, I think it's due to the expense. You can take me as an example. Um, I got support. I got basically an invest, someone to invest in me and my talent and I've grown and transitioned into possibly a world-class cyclist in the coming years. So I think with more of this um, coming back home and resources, getting resources back home and in other Caribbean countries, you can see more pathways being paved for kids to, who wants to really try the sport and there are a lot of talent in the Caribbean, and trust me. So if they got these type of opportunities that I've got, I'm sure you can see more Caribbean riders uh, in the spotlight. And are there young riders back home, young women back home, who are looking to you to be a sort of groundbreaker, to kind of set some sort of example? Yeah, I've actually, when, I, when I returned home last year, uh, sadly, this was what I was hearing most they were like continue to represent for us they admire what i'm doing they support what i'm doing and i'm living their dream because they always wish to have raced in europe and to be a professional and mixing it up with the best even my brother for instance i never thought i would have reached so far in this sport it was always his dream of becoming a professional but now i'm living his dream yeah, um, I'm just trying my best in all ways possible to bring the resources back home and help help them get the support that they need and any type of resources that can create some type of pathway for them in their growth and development. And hopefully, I don't know what, what will happen because, you know, you must race in order to be seen. So... Yeah, hopefully something can work out because it really sucks. I don't I don't like that this is happening to them. And for you personally, long term, what is your ambition? What's your big dream? My biggest dream in this sport is to be known as the greatest of all time. I want to be a legend in this sport. I want to be remembered as a legend. I want to win the Olympic Games, World Championships. I want to break the world record in the individual pursuit, Stradivianchi, Flanders, the big monuments, the big races. I just want them all. See what happens. I mean, there is no limit to what you can accomplish. You just do the work, stay dedicated, 
be teachable, absorb all the knowledge you can possibly absorb. And when the time is right, and by God's grace, you just execute. Great ambition. I'm sure you'll achieve it. Um, Thank you so much to Neil Campbell for being on the Ruler podcast. Thank you for having me. And there's a full interview with Tanil in the current issue of Rouleur. Check out the Rouleur website for details of how you can subscribe. You're listening to Rouleur Conversations, brought to you by LACA, bicycle insurance powered by the community. So my name is Oren Peleg and I'm an investor in LACA. Three things that really caught my eye. The first one is, is they're looking to change the insurance industry which is a very large industry and I think needs change. The second thing is, is I'm deeply passionate about getting people onto wheel. We need to address our congestion and pollution crisis and I believe that two wheels have a massive role to play in that. And the third thing is, I can see a growing trend around companies building on the strong communities that they have and I think Lacquer's business model in the way they tap into the community of cyclists is something that's very much on trend at the moment. So, Ruler Desire Editor, Stuart Clapp, what have you been up to? Well, I've done Ruler the shoot for Ruler 20.5, which feels mad because that means we're definitely over halfway through the year. And uh, it's been the weirdest year ever. But um, yeah, we're really happy with it. How did you manage to do it? Well, social distancing and things like this have been have been a bit of an issue during lockdown because obviously we're we're still trying to maintain that two metre gap. I don't know what it is now. No one does. No. So what I'll do is just use a bit of common sense. Yeah. So we we we've still been doing that, but we're doing it outside, which is handy because the weather's nice. And obviously we did we did a gravel shoot because we <laughs> well to tell you the truth, we had a lot of stuff in because we were supposed to have done the desire special. So we were like, oh, we still got all this gravel stuff. So why don't we do another gravel shoot? Because gravel, and we've never really done anything in the woods or anything like this. So we thought, yes, go with that. And everyone likes to push gravel bikes at the moment. The brands do because they're bringing out lots of new ones and things. And we were supposed to go to the woods. The haunted woods. Yeah, haunted woods. We did it in the haunted lane and we used a smoke machine. I phoned Benedict the day before and I said, are you set for tomorrow? Are you bringing any props or anything? Because... We, we do like a prop, don't we? You know, we, it's kind of a desire thing that Benedict will pull out a mask from somewhere. Um, and in this one, I pulled out a, uh, a, a Saxon helmet, a replica one, not, not an original one. That was actually built by the guy that hand built. Do you remember in the Prodigy, uh, one of the guys wore um, like, a, like a gauntlet type thing? It took him two years to build that thing because there's only like, you know, in terms of craftsmanship that goes into being able to play a piano or keyboard with this gauntlet on. And it was built by the same guy. He's like a friend of a friend's. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just happened to have a Saxon helmet and uh, we put someone in, in that. James, one of our models in that, which was. Uh, but yeah, it was good. And uh, yeah, we hung a 10 grand gravel bike. Out, out of a tree. I saw on one of the shoots someone is riding the giant bear's head. Yes, yes, that's uh, that's Mark, the model. Yeah, we put we put him in a giant bear's head. I love those days when everything just flows, right? Because sometimes it's like getting your eye in. I think. I mean, I'm speaking on Benedict's like behalf here, but I know that from doing a little bit of amateur photography on my own, when you sort of get your first couple of shots in, you kind of get your eye in and everything just flows. But straight away, Benedict, when he pulled up, we sort of pulled into where we parked up and then went, 
there's a location, there's a location. And it's what, what Benedict always says, that you don't necessarily need a location, you just need to look. So where we were looking around, it's like that greenhouse, that bit there, like this, and, and it, just, it just flowed. But with the, bear, the bear's head, we were sort of, we actually put someone on a bike riding in this issue, which is a bit of a shocker because we haven't done that for about three years. We know what people look like when they ride a bike, but we put one of our models on a Grove Cycles, like steel gravel bike, an Isador kit, and uh, this whacking great full bear's head. You mentioned they're a £10,000 gravel bike. Um, actually, gravel bikes and the whole bike industry is doing pretty well at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I, bike sales during lockdown, 1.3 million bikes were sold. That is just, that's insane amounts. But isn't it brilliant? <laughs> it's just, I mean, we, we talked about this before. Sigma were doing like 2,000 bikes a week. I spoke to the guys there and they were saying, oh, it's not just our regular, I mean, Sigma customers, they, you know, it's a lovely bike shop, it's you lovely bikes. But it was entry level road bikes as well. It was so people are definitely coming into the sport, which is amazing. And obviously, six weeks is enough to like create a habit. And if people are out there riding for six weeks in this weather, I'm like standing on my balcony now and there's hardly a breath of wind and it's like 24 degrees. You know, riding in that, you'll go, hmm, I think I could stick to this, thanks. And as well as that, they haven't said that you can open the gyms yet. So tell us about some of the bikes that are in the shoot, because some of them do sound really nice. Yeah, we've got, um, well, as I said, like, you know, Mark was riding that hand built steel groves. I've, it, the reason why I wanted that in is because we, we, we always have an array of bikes, and I like to get three bikes in for a shoot because i think three three is a magic number you can have a decent spread there of like so these bikes they all do the same thing but they all look entirely different so we have this groves hand-built steel bike which is grove cycles built he hand builds the bikes like about a mile away from where we did the shoot and mark groves who runs it does a lot of stuff for like a lot of steel metal work for like Rothschild and stuff like this. And, but he's a really passionate cyclist and he started making these adventure bikes. And so we, we've got one of those. We've got, um, in fact, Frank Schleck's 3T Exploro. You know, what I was saying before, they are like, there, there aren't very many of them around. Like I spoke to Saddleback who distribute 3T and they didn't have one. We, we actually ended up getting Frank Schleck's. And, uh, and then we had the new S-Works Diverge, which has got, dropper seat posts, suspension handlebars that you've seen in, the, in their Roubaix. And it's got like a bento box in the down tube, you know, you sort of open it up where, 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 the, where the bottle would go. There's like a, there's, a, there's a recess in there which you can stash food and tools or whatever you want to put in there. I think we might put bananas in there or something to illustrate that. Yeah, and they, essentially they all do the same thing, these bikes, right? But they all look completely different. Like perfect example is that 3T Exploro. It looks like an aero bike, but with loads of tire clearance. And then you've got a steel bike that's sort of heavier. And if, if you drop it, steel is a pretty good material to have if you're going to go off road because you're not going to crack it, are you? Well, you have to go some to crack it. Um, and then, yeah, and then this this S-Works, the, the one we hung up from a tree <laughs> it was cool okay thanks Stuart that's it from this conversation there'll be a ruler long reads podcast along soon until then take care out there
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.